want to tell us a little bit of a story of this uh, thing called the Winchester Mansion. I don't know if you ever heard of it or not. The Winchester Mystery House is what it's actually even called today. Uh, it's in San Jose, California. The Winchester Mission, uh, Mystery House was built by a lady by the name of Sarah Winchester. She started building the house in 1884, and she did so because her husband, William, died in 1881. Now, if you recognize the last name Winchester, uh, it was about the Winchester rifle. He actually built the Winchester rifle and had his company that was building the Winchester rifle. And in the 1800s, late 1800s, it was uh, very successful, right? It was a a very successful uh, instrument that was used in lots and lots of ways. He died in in 1881 of a disease, I think leukemia or something like that. And she lived on the East Coast and she began to feel guilt, a lot of guilt, Matter of fact, she began to feel so guilty that she was taking on the guilt of every person who was killed with a Winchester rifle. And she said the spirit spoke to her and told her to move west. So she moved, not, I notice I said spirits, not the spirit. She moved west to San Jose where she bought a farm. In 1884, there was a small house on the farm. And from 1884 to her death in 1922, 1884 to 1922, when she died, her biography says that the house was being constantly built. She was doing something to the house constantly all those years. Now, she had lots of money. When her husband died, it would say that during that time, uh, he left her immediately with what would today be uh, the amount of about $500 million dollars. Now think about those dollars in 1884. And the Winchester Company was making so much money that she was basically making about $25,000 a day off the money that was being made in the 1800s off the Winchester rifle. But the problem was she had no peace in her life. It was all about guilt. So she moved to the West Coast, built, found this farm, started building this house, and for all those years, they were constantly building onto the house. Matter of fact, it says that in, on their website, they have 161 rooms, 40 bedrooms, 47 fireplaces, 10,000 panes of glass, 17 chimneys in this house. It's an architectural curiosity because there was no master plan. She would just decide to do something and build it. So in this house, there are stairwells that go nowhere. She has Tiffany, uh, Tiffany glass in it from Tiffany's in New York. Mr. Tiffany himself designed the glass that was supposed to be a, a mirror, a window that the, the light would go through and have an incredible prisms. But she put that in the middle of the house where there are no windows. So it's never been seen. So for all those years, she kept adding to the house, trying to do something more to relieve herself of the guilt that she had because of what had happened with a Winchester rifle. I have a friend that's going to come up right now. She's going to help me do something. Uh, Matter of fact, I think you had a birthday this week, right? Was your birthday this week? Yeah, she's slowly coming. Her mother has to come with her. Nope, right on up here. Do you have a birthday this week? Yeah. You turned seven? Wow, isn't that fun? All right, good deal. I need you to help me, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to tear this thing open, right? Do you like the open presents? Yeah, Yeah, that's a yes, yes. 
I don't know. Let's try. Let's check and find out. So you, you get a hold of that side right there, and I'll pull this way. You pull that way. Okay. Put your finger in there and pull. Just pull it. Just tear it off. There. Just like you were at home tearing a present. Okay. There. There it is. That's it. You know what it says? You know what that word is? You know what it is? It's the word peace. And that's what we're talking about today. Hey, thanks for helping. All right. Good deal. Thanks. Let's just thank her for helping us. All right. Happy birthday again to you. Good deal. Peace, that's what we're talking about. That's what a woman needed. That's what she spent her whole life and her whole fortune trying to understand how she could have peace. And you know, as we come to Christmas season, there are a lot of people around us that are looking for peace. They're trying to understand how they can have peace in their life. What does this peace really mean? So today, what I want to do in this message is really, is really try to open up for us an understanding of what the Bible would teach us about peace in such a way that hopefully you can share with those people around you because you come in contact with people every day who have, who have problems, who have worries, who have anxiety, who have financial difficulties, who have family difficulties, and, and what they're really searching for is peace, right? They're trying to find that. The word, the word peace in the Bible, though it uses several, several words in the Bible, for, for the word peace, most of those words come from the understanding of a root word that has to do with, with things that are broken, that are being bound together. So it's a, the, the root of the word is the understanding that peace binds us together. It's the idea of creating wholeness, right? Our minds, our spirit, our souls, uh, the high idea of peace inside, the biblical view of peace is that God takes all those things and he brings wholeness inside for us. And that's what people are looking for. They're looking for a wholeness in their life, a, a peace in their life, something that's going to allow them to walk through the next day. So we're going to look at several scriptures. We're going to look at what the Bible teaches us about peace and how we can find this wholeness that we would say as in Christ. Uh, in Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men and peace on earth. There's this whole understanding from all time. There's been a looking for peace and we find as followers of Christ, our peace in Christ. Well, let's start where I think we have to start, which is the beginning, right? If you're going to start anywhere, you got to start at the beginning. And the beginning says that we must, first of all, have peace with God. Now, the Bible would teach us that there's an understanding that we have peace of God, peace in God, peace from God, but there's also a great understanding of peace with God. And if we're going to start anywhere, it has to be this understanding of peace with God. What does it mean to have peace with God? So if you have your listening guide out there, there are blanks we're going to fill in. We're going to write in some scripture because they're going to help you and they're going to help you to be able to share that with someone else because you know as well as I do, there are people around you every day that need God's peace. But first of all, let's start with peace with God. If we're going to have peace with God, we understand that first God loves you and has a plan for you. It's an understanding that from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the understanding that God loves you and has a plan for your life. John 10.10, where he tells us that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Before we're ever going to have any kind of peace, we have to have peace with God. And that peace with God starts with an understanding that we know that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross. So much that his son is what we celebrate during the Christmas season. The very fact that, he, that God himself became incarnate, that God himself came to earth in the form of a baby, 
baby Jesus so he would grow up for the purpose of dying for our sins. And we know that God loves us and has a plan for you. Man is sinful. That's the second part. Man is sinful and separated from God. If we're going to ever understand God's peace, we have to understand peace with God, and we have to recognize that we are sinful, and from the very part of us, our nature is, is a sin nature, and because of that sin nature, we are, we are separated from God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, you can write that down. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What that means is simply, there's no way we can save ourselves. There's no way we can have peace with God by doing enough good things, by paying enough money by doing as much as we can, it's still not going to give us peace with God because we are sinful people. And being sinful people, we are separated from God. That separation is for eternity unless we come to have peace with God. And so that separation from God is because of our sinfulness. But we know, according to God's word, that God sent his son to die for your sin. That's the third part we're looking at right there. God sent his son to die for your sin. And that's an important piece of everything that we must understand. Because if we're going to have peace with God, we're going to recognize, as he tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God proves his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, we're never going to have an internal peace unless we have a peace with God that understands that we are sinful and that because of our sin, we are separated from God. A verse that I failed to use there was in Romans 6.23 that says, for the wages of sin is God. The payment for our sin is separation from God. And so our sinfulness keeps us separated from God, but God loves us so much that he has a plan for us, and that plan is that God sent his son to die for us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And then the fourth part, you receive God's forgiveness... And that makes all the difference in the world. I want to read to you, and you can write this verse down from Romans chapter 10, because it helps us to understand that when we receive God's forgiveness, he changes us. He tells us in Romans chapter 10, this is the message of faith that we proclaim. I'm starting at verse at the end of verse 8 of Romans 10. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, one believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, one confesses, resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, friends, if we're going to talk about anything today, we're talking about having peace with God. And I pray that if you're in this room today and you don't have peace with God, you will call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Because peace with God and peace from God and peace in God and peace that God gives us only begins when we have a peace with God, which is our salvation. There are people all around us who want God's peace. This lady that I gave this illustration for, Sarah Winchester, wanted God's peace. She never found God's peace. She never found peace at all because she never found peace with God. And you know people all around you who walk through so many difficult things, who go through life and so many things, but they never have found a peace with God to start the beginning. Now, I just want to say this with all the, all the love I can. 
that if there's a time in our lives when everything around us is always a problem and always is a struggle, we never find peace from God with things, just step back and ask the Lord, Lord, do I have peace with you? Am I saved? Have I, have I confessed? Do I believe? Because when we get to that place, it's the beginning place of everything about having peace in our lives. But without a peace with God, you're never going to have a peace from God. Without a peace with God, you're never going to sense God's peace in the things that you do in life. There are many people who want a peace from God, but they don't want to have peace with God. They want to do what they want to do until they need God, until they get in trouble, until something goes on. And then they're asking God for his peace. And it just didn't work that way. God doesn't do that. We have to start at the beginning place of having peace with God. And once we have peace with God, then it changes everything. Because when we have peace from God, the Romans chapter five, if you want to turn there, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, write that down, Romans 5, 1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't come based on what we've done, on how we act, on how much money we give, or anything about that. It comes through the fact that we have faith in Christ, and he is the one who has brought righteousness. He is the one who has justified us. Now, all that being said, let's look into the next part of what we want to look at today because if we have peace with God, then we can discover that we can have God's peace with us. And that's what people are looking for. Your friends, your coworkers, your family, they're looking to have God's peace with us. And God gives us so much in the scripture about that. We're just going to touch the surface of all this today because there's so much in this about God's peace. In John 16, which I have written in the listening guide today, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, if we live with all the anxiety that the world has to give us, and we're never going to understand God's peace with us. We're going to be so caught up in the anxiety. We're going to be so caught up that we miss, as I said already, the term defined peace is taking all those loose ends, all those things that we have, all those problems that are around us, and it's putting us into wholeness with God. It's, it's allowing us to stand in the middle of all the trials, troubles, tribulations, everything that goes on around us, standing firm as the Bible teaches us over and over and over, with the peace of all these things around us. Because Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Well, yeah, we know that. I mean, there's nothing new about that for us. We've walked through it. We know what that's like. But he says, hey, I've overcome the world. You're still going to have trouble. All those things are still going to happen, but you're going to have peace in your life. So what does that mean for us? And I've listed some of these. The first one. How do we know what that's like to have God's peace? First of all, <clears throat> the presence of God is in our lives. That's the first blank under that. The presence of God is in our life. It is not the absence of trouble that we're looking for. It's not the absence of everything's going to be correct. What we are looking for is the presence of God in our life. See, that's what Jesus was saying, that I've overcome the world. And when he said to his disciples, when I go away, I'm sending another one that's going to bring comfort to you, another one that's going to bring, bring peace to your life. What he is talking about is the very presence of God in your life. My fear is that for many believers, we look for something else around us to give us peace. Or the Bible clearly tells us that our greatest peace comes from God's presence in our life. 
the work of the spirit that's in us, that's living in us, then that presence of God wants to give us what we need. The second blank there is trusting in his character. Trusting in his character. Now, we like to trust in everything else, but here he tells us to trust in his character, and the character of God is magnificent. Matter of fact, let's go back to a a verse that at the very top of your listening guide is a verse that I was going to use earlier. chose to use it here because in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says, and he will be called the prince of peace. Now, that's a characteristic of Jesus himself. You remember, Isaiah was writing in times of trouble for the Jewish nation. They'd been overtaken by Assyria. And I, I, I struggled with this verse all week. All week, I've struggled with this. Because I thought, why is Jesus their prince of peace, right? What is it about Jesus? I've read commentaries, I've looked at things, and I, I just couldn't get an answer. Why wasn't he our, our king of peace? Or why wasn't he the power of peace? Or why wasn't he the, the strength of peace? Why did he use the word prince of peace? And then I, I, I really did discover the answer through some reading. And the word prince that he uses here, and, and it was my fault completely, because when I was thinking of a prince, I was thinking like of the prince of Wales, Right? who has everything, who is royalty, who, who has everything that he needs, everything at his fingertips. And that's not what this word means, surprisingly, because it means chief, authority. This week, it came clear just a couple of days ago, you saw that the, uh, the, new, the president appointed a new joint chief of staff for the military, right? That's what the word means. You saw maybe yesterday where the the chief of staff at the White House is going to resign. Well, that's what the word means. It's it's chief. Now, when you have a chief, he has the authority to carry out the direction of those who are over him, which is God himself. And so when the Bible says that Jesus is going to be your prince of peace, he's going to have authority over our lives. Well, that's kind of hard, you know, it was a difficult when I read through that because I had this some wonderful illusion of Jesus being a prince in the high rope, and he is because he's the king of glory. But he calls him the prince of peace, which means that in my life, if I'm going to have peace in my life, if I'm going to have inner peace to stand through the trials and the struggles, if I'm going to have that kind of peace, I'm only going to do that when I come under his authority. As long as I do what I want to do when I want to do it, and have my desires met for what I want, I'm going to struggle with peace. We all are. It's only when we come under the Prince of Peace who has the authority over our lives because we have peace with God and we have surrendered ourselves to Him to receive His forgiveness. It's only then are we going to have His character, the Prince of Peace, who is guiding us and leading us. And when things seem to be going crazy in our lives, we can stand firm Because we know that we have surrendered our life to the Prince of Peace. He is the one who has authority over it. The third thing that helps us is it also brings about a clear conscience for us. Isaiah, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, and Titus chapter 3, verse 5, or just two of the verses, Hebrews 10, 22, Titus 3, 5, helps us to understand that when we have peace, With God, when we have peace with him, his peace is on our life. That means we have a clear conscience. And what that means is, going right down to the next one, we have relief from our guilt and sin. And you can write in Romans chapter 15, verse 17. 
Because that's what we're talking about. Because so many times we, we get so caught up in, in what we've done in our past. And our past, it, we let it just guide our future. We let it control what our future is. And all the things that we're going through, all the, all the worry, anxiety, struggles, problems, all the things that we go through kind of determines the future before us. Yet if our conscience is clear, and how does our conscience get clear? Our conscience gets clear when we come to the Father and say, Lord, thank you for the fact that I have peace with you, that you have forgiven my sin, that I am, I am before you. Now, that doesn't mean I, I don't sin, but it means that he has forgiven me and has given me eternal life. And my conscience is clear before him as I am continually saying, Lord, thank you that you have forgiven me of my guilt. You have forgiven me of the wicked things that I have done. You have forgiven me of how I have, how I have failed you. And, and knowing that he loves us and has forgiven us allows us to have a clean conscience and allows us to walk into troubles saying, I know that I have a relief from my past because of what God has done in the past and what he is doing in the future. It should change everything for us as believers. I'll go on. The next one is we are adopted as God's own children. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we are adopted as God's children. The, the, the relationship of us being a child of God. Now, you've heard me say before, and I'm sure I will say again, in our culture today, everybody wants to be a child of God. Well, they're not. They might be a creation of God, but they're not a child of God. Because if they were a child of God, we'd have no need for Jesus, and they'd all go to heaven. We do not believe the Bible teaches that at all. That we become children of God when we find peace with God, and we are children of God out of salvation because we are adopted by him who has done the work to bring us into his family. It becomes very important for us when we're searching for peace. It becomes very important for us to be able to say that we are in a family of God who, God who loves us and is God who's created and the God who does the work to forgive us of our sin. Going on to the next one is confessing of our sin and failure on an ongoing way. Well, if we have relief from guilt and sin, it doesn't mean we're not going to sin, but it means that the Bible teaches us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And that word is a continual action word, which means he is continually being faithful, he is continually forgiven, he is continually cleansing us from our sins as we confess those to him. And as we confess those to him, he gives us relief from our guilt. He allows us to understand we have a clean conscience because of his character of the God of peace that's in our life. Next, he brings us into joyful fellowship with God. 1 John 1, 6 talks about fellowship. And fellowship is, is not just the relationship, but it's the fellowship with God, spending time with God, being, knowing that we are in this fellowship of knowing who he is because we are already in relationship with him, right? He is our father. He is our savior because we have peace with God. And in this peace from God, we have fellowship with him. We get to spend time with him. We get to, we get to hear from him. That's what prayer is, listening to him. That's what reading his word is, letting his word come into our lives and give us strength to give us the peace that we need from God. Next, no fear of death or eternity. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, talks about our citizenship in heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, talks about our citizenship in heaven. There is no fear of death. There is no fear of eternity. Well, friends, I think a lot of times in our, in our churches from people, there is that fear. 
The fear of the unknown, the fear of what it's going to be like, the fear of, of what's out there. And, and sometimes I want to say, man, just, just read God's word. Read Revelation and tell us. Why, why do we have to have fear because of what he has prepared for us, what he has planned for us? And he tells us, and John, Jesus even tells us, do not be afraid. I go to prepare a place for you. When I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming to receive you. And, and, and in so doing that, it should allow us to say, we have no fear. We have no fear of eternity. We have no fear of death. And so that brings us to a place of great peace, peace that comes from God into our lives. And then last, having great assurance from Isaiah 48, 18, John 10, 25 through 30, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. I'll say those again, Isaiah 48, 18, John 10, 25 through 30, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 18. Having great assurance. Why can we have great assurance? Well, we have great assurance because we have, first of all, peace with God. And we know that we are saved. We have we have confessed our sin. We have received his forgiveness. And now, if we know we have peace with God, that God wants to give us peace. And God is about doing that for our lives. And surely, if we can trust him for our salvation, surely if I can trust God to die on the cross to raise from the dead, surely if I can do that, I can trust him for peace every day in my life. When I walk out the door, when I go to work, when I be around my family or my friend, surely if I can trust God with my salvation, where eternity hangs in a balance, surely if I can do that, then I can say, okay, I, I can take this step forward. I can have this peace in my life, even when it looks crazy around me. One last verse that I've written in this listening guide says, from John 14, 27, was read earlier, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I want to just for a moment, for a second, look at that. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do you think for one moment that Jesus Christ did not have the peace that goes beyond all of our understanding. And here he says to us, my peace I'm giving to you. My peace you've got. Friend, if you're, if you're looking for peace in your life, you don't have to look any further than the Prince of Peace. We're coming under his authority. And he says to us, my peace I'm giving to you. So when we unwrap this gift of peace, it's a gift given to us by Jesus who loves us so much, who's given us everything. When he left, he said, I'm giving you my peace. That's how we can face tomorrow. That's how we can step out into the new day. That's how we can deal with the stuff around us. Otherwise, we couldn't do it. But thanks be to God, we have his peace. That's why it can be well with our souls.